Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Hello, OFAD lads and lasses, if that's what you like being called. Nobody's complained yet. Hello, Caleb's how are you? visibly laughing, and so I think he objects, maybe. <laughs> no, I don't object. I'm just, I just imagining you with a, a Scottish accent. <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of happened. Oh, wait, no, that didn't happen. We really hired Santa for our... To live away. That's right. That was expensive. That was. Yeah. I hope you're happy, Eric, if you're listening to this, which I certainly hope you're listening to this after after what you got. That's right. No, we we like you, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. So Caleb. So oh, Andrew. You are Caleb. I am Andrew. Hi, Andrew. I'm Caleb. You know, we kind of don't have to introduce ourselves quite so much because we do have our names in our pre recorded introduction now. But whatever. But we're going to. <laughs> just so you don't forget. Yeah, in case there's any doubt, too, as to which of us is which, lest you think I am Caleb or Caleb is I. Yeah, I, I do like to uh, to pretend that I'm you sometimes, and, you know, especially for financial purposes. Uh, it's not fraud. It's just, you know... <laughs> So that's that's why I keep getting all these alerts from the bank. Who who is it that said uh what is it uh copying is the highest form of flattery or is it plagiarism? <laughs> imitation, imitation is the highest Yeah, yeah. I'm just flattering you. Well, anyway, um recognizing that identity theft is not a joke and that millions of people suffer annually. Uh what are we doing today, Caleb? Well, um we don't really know, just like, oh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so we're going to do something a little different today, which you probably already know because you see the episode title, but uh, we're going to be talking through some of the catechism here. The Heidelberg Catechism, which is uh, one of the doctrinal standards for uh, those who are in the German-Dutch continental tradition. And uh, with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which comes from the UK Presbyterian tradition. So what we want to do is we are going to look at the opening section of both of these catechisms. So we're going to look at Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg, which is the first two questions of that. And then we're going to look at that alongside the first three questions of the Shorter Catechism. Uh, some method to the madness. I, before coming to the OPC, where I now am currently serving, I was in the URCNA, uh, learned the Heidelberg, preached the Heidelberg, grew to appreciate the Heidelberg, and Caleb is still doing all those things. But uh, So one of the things I've uh, decided to do this year um, in my uh liturgy in my leading of worship at the church at which i'm serving is try to read through with short explanation the short the entire shorter catechism in roughly the next year sort of borrowing from the heidelberg concept of working through the catechism in a year in the 52 lord's days 
I'm not going to be fully preaching it, but at least kind of uh, following that sort of time frame and, and working through the entire thing in sequence. And so... Uh, we were talking and decided this would be a good thing to integrate because it is, as we are recording, the first week of the year. So Caleb would have just preached Lord's Day 1 like a good Dutch Reformed theologian, student, future minister that he is. So since we both have these fresh in our mind, we decided let's do a little talk about that. Let's do some compare and contrast. Look at where these catechisms begin and why that matters. Well, and that's right. And uh, so Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 1, uh, at some point, maybe we'll talk a little bit of the history. Uh, we'll spare you that uh, for now and stick to the content. But Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, starts with uh, perhaps one of the most pastoral questions ever committed into writing, into non-inspired uh, writing. Lord's Day 1 Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I am using here the URCNA's uh, translations and form. So, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And it follows up question two. How many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Now, just briefly here, if you note that flow in this question uh, and answer two, this is what is basically a uh, the structure of the entirety of the catechism. The catechism presents um, first the topic of sin and misery. It goes on to deliverance, and then it ends uh, towards the end of the year. It ends in talking about living in the life of thanksgiving, uh, living a life of gratitude for salvation. So the biggest thing here that it is looking at is if you you think on that question what is your only comfort the catechism is presuming that we are in need of comfort it, it doesn't ask do you have comfort do you want comfort it is saying what is your only comfort and depending on if someone is an unbeliever, uh, a pagan, uh, a heretic, um, or a Christian, the answer is going to vary. That's just starting off here. I want to trade off to Andrew now uh, for just opening those first three questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism and see kind of how it starts with its opening concerns. 
All right. So the first three questions and answers of the Shorter Catechism are these. I don't have to tell you which translation I'm using because as far as I know, in every version of this that exists, they are the same. There have been some modern language updates. They are not official or binding in our church. There are some, like I think perhaps the Evangelical Presbyterian Church uses a modern language version, but in general... Uh, the same version of this catechism that went before the West or that came from the Westminster Assembly is the same one that we use. So question one, y'all should know this one. What is the chief end of man? Answer man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And then second, question two, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Answer, the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And then question three, what do the scriptures principally teach? Answer, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Now, just a few things to point out here. You will notice that where these catechisms begin, they begin with some quite different emphases. The Heidelberg Catechism asks or begins with, as Caleb mentioned, a very pastoral emphasis uh, concerning comfort, concerning man's experience of salvation. Now, this is not to say that the Shorter Catechism is indifferent to that or that that is not included in these first questions and answers, but it seems that the Shorter Catechism is taking more of a big picture approach at the beginning um going just above and beyond salvation to well the question is what is the chief end of man essentially who are we why are we here what's this all about um what is life um the answer being of course man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever now i say that this is not a matter indifferent to our salvation because for instance um one of the ways, or at least one of the possible ways, whereby God is glorified through us is by redeeming his people. Um, that gives glory to God. And then also to enjoy him forever, uh, that would require us uh, to be one of his redeemed people. Those who are not his people, uh, those who are reprobate, do not get to enjoy God forever. They face wrath and condemnation forever. Um, so I think the similarities are actually more than they often are given credit for. But then there's a pivot here to something a little different from what the Heidelberg does. We go immediately from there, the big overarching question of everything, to Scripture. Um, basically, how do you know this? How do you know this is your chief end? Uh, well, and it says, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Which the answer is Scripture. It says several things about Scripture. Uh, the Word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Probably something we should talk a little bit about here in a moment. What does it mean by contained? But is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. And then question three, I think actually, while it may not look like it on the surface, is actually very similar to Heidelberg question two. Because for one thing, basically lays out the structure of the catechism, where it's going from here. Um, 
it does it in two parts instead of three. So instead of the guilt, grace, gratitude pattern, you see simply what man is to believe concerning God. So that would uh, comprehend in many ways the guilt and grace portion. Um, though it's ordered and structured a little differently as you go on through the catechism. And then what duty God requires. So the obedience and gratitude. Now, as that breaks down more specifically, so in the first section of the catechism, you get the... Uh, doctrine of, well, after this, the do- doctrine of scripture, you get the doctrine of God. So the decrees of God, which are creation and providence. And then you see, uh, man. So anthropology, the fall and sin, um, uh, covenant theology laid out. And then you get redemption in Christ. And so it works through Christ's person, his offices, his states. So humiliation and exaltation. Um, and then redemption applied. Uh, so we get the, uh, effectual calling, justification, adoption, sanctification, all the blessings of salvation. And then, uh, from there, uh, into eschatology. Before then, the pivot into the obedience section, uh, the duty God requires, which is first the Ten Commandments, then the means of grace. So that's a little different set up from the Heidelberg and then followed by prayer and the Lord's prayer, which is how the Heidelberg also ends. So there's a little bit of a structural overview of the differences between the two. But again, we see in these first few questions, although uh, perhaps presented differently, some similar emphases. Yeah. So the shared concern then that you're seeing here is we need God. Uh, that that's the same approach, uh, the the same topical concern, uh, though from different angles. Um, and so you you think of this: what is the chief end of man in the shorter catechism? Uh, and you you compare this not only with the question from the Heidelberg: what is your only comfort in life and in death? But the last uh, line of question answer one says that Christ, because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And so there, uh, you already get an idea of uh, where the catechism is going. It is It has in mind man's chief end, living for him. Yeah, as I was, uh, as I was uh, exhorting through this yesterday, at, at the time of recording here, yesterday, um, I had used as my theme uh, simply what the catechism itself says. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, and therefore I am not my own. I am preserved. I am made whole. And I use those as my three points. Um, in the in the Heidelberg Catechism, there is, uh, first of all, this, this, this word comfort. This word comfort, uh, trost in uh, German, in the original German or in, and in Dutch, it means consolation, sympathy, and relief, just like we're familiar with in English. But it also has something of a sense of uh, comfort in terms of anything that provides some luxury or makes one feel happier, able to uh, bear misfortune in this life. So there's a concept of what makes man then complete, what fulfills you, what makes you whole in relation to this uh, to existence. So what is the point of life or man? Just as Andrew was talking about with what is the chief end of man. There's already the presupposition in the catechism. There, a man needs comfort. There's an issue going on. 
And that issue, it points out in question and answer two, is first of all, sin and misery. Now, Christian listeners, we know what sin is, uh, as unrighteousness, wickedness, transgression against the holy God. But misery, the word misery, that, that's not just affliction or suffering. It's not, you know, in, say in English, feeling miserable. There is that. But misery, um, in the original German, um, and I'm, I'll, I'll butcher it, I think it's in Dutch, uh, Allende, it's the same thing, the same word. Um, misery has the, the, the connotation of alienation, all right? Estrangement, being cut off, okay? So, well, who are we cut off from? Who are we alienated from? God, because of sin, so there, there can be no fellowship, there can be no relation, there can be no real understanding or knowledge of not just then God, because of our, our fallenness, our sinfulness, but there can be no understanding of ourselves and also of our, our fellow man, our neighbor, our right relationship with man, and there can be no actual knowledge or fellowship with this world around us. We're not going to understand and relate to and live in this world rightly. So the Heidelberg is, is taking that approach of, well, why do you need comfort? And then it's kind of, it's going to go into the idea of, well, how do you get it then? And, and, and what is comfort then? And therefore, what do you do with that comfort? The why is, well, we're sinful. How do you get that comfort? You need to be delivered. And where does that come from? How are you delivered? It's, it's by Jesus Christ, uh, but through his precious blood, himself being uh, righteous and able to liberate us from the captivity or bondage of, of sin and, and death and Satan. Okay, uh, and, and further, we need him in such a way that through him, because he who is obedient to the Father, who has given his Son a people before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1, we are, because of Christ and his work, eternally preserved in our deliverance. We have a complete assurance then, not only for our life and in body physically, but in death, which comes to us all, and uh, for our souls eternally, to live eternally in him, because I belong to him. And just the last note on this, the Catechism says, because I belong to him, through the accomplishment of, of salvation, and because the Father has willed, decreed from eternity that we would belong to him, in, in our, that we belong to him and are given over to Christ as a possession, uh, then the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit to then apply Christ's works of salvation in the will of the Father. In this way, we belong to him spiritually. Our deliverance is preserved with a true and real assurance, a guarantee upon the heart that we can know we are saved if we believe in faith upon Jesus Christ. So we can we are assured by his Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, of eternal life. And then this Spirit also provides us the obedience or the righteousness of Christ to walk according to the ways that God had always intended us to walk for him that is wholeheartedly willing, desiring him, the things of him and to do his will and ready that we are able to live for him 
And this is taking you back exactly to to what question uh, answer one of the shorter catechism says. Really what it comes down to at the opening of these catechisms, if you had to sort of, I guess, synthesize them into one thing, they're both dealing with uh, essentially a question of ownership or a question of of ultimate purpose of life. Because in the Heidelberg, you have that I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior. Or in the Westminster, my chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So in both cases, we're seeing that um, our purpose is not ourselves. Our purpose is not our lives and our good and what we want. Our purpose is God. You know, put in a little different ways, but clearly with that same emphasis. Also, regarding misery... Uh, sin and misery while it doesn't come up here at the immediate beginning in the westminster although like i said i think it's implied along with the entire economy of salvation and what is here it does come up later um the idea that the fall uh, plunged all mankind into an estate of sin and misery and then god did not leave mankind in that state but entered into a covenant of grace uh, to deliver man from that estate of sin and misery Misery coming from the English in the Westminster for misery. So just a little, just a little jab at the language uh, and familiar. Uh, I mean, and, and similarly, uh, where you have, uh, you know, the, the, the Heidelberg catechism is not taking up the, the topic of, you know, the, the Westminster shorter catechism, second and third answers regarding, uh, the word of God in scripture, uh, yet. It is uh, this first Lord's Day is simply the introduction um, of what man's purpose is about, what he's supposed to do, and how he cannot do it. Um, and that, that's why it goes into the misery next. But the Catechism does take this up, uh, the, this matter of uh, learning these things by the Word, by the Scriptures, for how to glorify and enjoy Him. Um, but in later questions and answers. So again, there, there is that, there's a strong harmony here, but it's, it's in its different ways. And that, that's where it's also helpful in, in knowing how, uh, the, the catechism was written just a little bit over, tiny bit over a hundred years before the, uh, pardon me, I said, uh, the catechism. The Heidelberg catechism was written, uh, the catechism, capital C. Uh, the Heidelberg catechism was written, you know, just, <laughs> About a little over a hundred years before the shorter catechism, and again from different uh, for for different purposes. Uh, 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 I gotta stop Uh-oh. you. It was about eighty years. Eighty years. Sorry. Fifteen sixties to sixteen forties. Ah, uh, yes, I see. Because I too had to stand for a URCNA candidacy exam and know that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sixteen forty eight for your uh, for your uh, shorter catechism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 1648 but yeah. anyway um <laughs> yeah okay. yeah so you're right. yeah yeah and here so i right. am ragging on the dates <laughs> yeah that's right for some reason i was thinking that the westminster assembly was in the 1660s uh 1640s huh um 1645 <laughs> anyways the uh yeah so so just around 80 years after <laughs> the uh uh so so and, and remember that there the the Westminster standards, the confession and catechisms were written for a, in a different context uh, to address different concerns for, uh, uh, um, from the same theological standpoint. 
So context, context, context is the point there, right? <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean, a different process of, of writing and compilation. The Heidelberg has traditionally been believed to be mostly the work of two men, Zacharias Ursinus and Caspar Olivianus, whereas the Westminster was the work of a large assembly of of ministers and and teachers of various sorts in the churches of England and with advisors from the churches of Scotland. Uh, so, yeah, different concerns, different um, processes, and yet still coming out with, in many ways, the same doctrine. Now, you did raise one issue that's probably worth at least mentioning. You, you mentioned the Heidelberg and its early emphasis on assurance. And this is probably where you see one of the greater differences begin to emerge between the Westminster Standards and the Three Forms of Unity, and it pertains to this idea of assurance. Perhaps the simplest way to put it is that the Heidelberg takes an objective approach to assurance, um, assurance being grounded uh, in God and in the work of the Holy Spirit, in the believer, Whereas the Westminster standards take a more subjective approach or assurance as we experience it, because the Westminster talks about things like our assurance being at times diminished and wounded because of sins and doubts and other various issues and troubles of this life. So, for instance, um, it's often said concerning the teaching of the Heidelberg and of the three forms that there it would make assurance of the essence of the faith. Whereas in the Westminster, it is uh, it is explicitly stated that, um, I believe it's in the larger catechism, that assurance is not so of the essence of faith, or at another place, I believe it actually says it's not of the essence of faith, but that uh, it can be wounded and diminished at times. Now, sometimes I think more is made of this difference than there really is, but it is a difference. Um, this is clearly taking different approaches and different looks at the issue of assurance of salvation. A good way to to think of this is actually uh, think of it in terms of of pedagogy and and and, and content. Um, so the the pedagogical approach or the the teaching method that the Heidelberg is employing, you could say, is subjective. It, it is. Its format in the way it words things that it's teaching things is more personal and more on from from the standpoint of personal experience but its content that is teaching is uh in a sense uh objective whereas the westminster and i mean that in the sense of uh, uh not, this is not going to be to say that the westminster standards is not objectively truthful but i'm saying uh how is it how is the content presented so pedagogically teaching wise the Heidelberg Catechism uses words, it articulates things in a personal manner that then uh, it, it's to, to, to teach objective truths. The Westminster Standards uses words that are highly objective to teach it uh, in its pedagogy to then unveil the subjective uh, content, the experiential, the experiential aspect of uh, what it's saying. Both of them, in other words, are truthful and personal, but in a different way of articulating it. Perhaps another way to put it would be... <laughs> we'll, we'll just do this the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, different ways to make the same point over and over again. <laughs> Basically, the Heidelberg is coming at this from the approach of 
of uh, the Heidelberg wants you to be assured and wants to tell you what you need to know to be assured of your faith and assured of your salvation. Whereas the Westminster takes the issue of assurance and presents it more as, well, this is how assurance is. This is what assurance is, and this is how it goes. So, so the Heidelberg perhaps in that way is trying to be more persuasive, whereas the Westminster is just more um, evaluating and descriptive of this is what's going on. Yeah, and perhaps another way to put I'm kidding. <laughs> you have heard it said. <laughs> uh, but, but now I, I say, say to you, to you. Uh, <laughs> Rabbi such and such says. <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, and, and that's that's uh, where, you know, at, at another point, because uh, of time here, you know, we can go into the history and explaining uh, why this is the case because again it's it's the context in which these things were written um that uh heavily impact like why they're they're writing these things and who they're addressing them to uh why they're they were contextually written that that informs this language but again the same reformed confessions substantially but yeah so that's that's uh so that's the big thing here and the, these are again both question one uh, of of the Heidelberg and for the Westminster Shorter Catechisms are and perhaps just the the the, the most the deepest of writings here that we could explain. And really, we could keep going on these words for quite some time, maybe in another episode. Well, actually, we could go a little deeper because we could go to the larger That's catechism. Right. Well, no, no, I mean, yeah, we could definitely. Which really go more. just kind of takes kind of takes these same teachings of the shorter catechism and blows them up larger <laughs> and really everyone i mean the the larger catechism is definitely worth studying um i've actually been teaching an adult sunday school class at our church on the larger catechism and and that's a very valuable thing too um but the shorter catechism is the one that gets used more uh, more likely to be memorized um, and it's like I said, it's what we're reading in our worship services. So I figured it would it'd be fitting to go there here. Yeah, and it's I mean, and you you could plumb the depths of these is is uh is really my point in it. You know, it's um I mean, and and people have plumbed the depths for for hundreds of years, putting out uh content uh reflections, sermons, uh, and so on on these questions. Right. And you know, maybe maybe another another time we can we can come back around and, and revisit these uh with some more thoughts. Or or really if if we continue in in taking a look at uh, other parts of the catechism uh, uh pardon me, capital C catechism at the catechisms <laughs> I gotta get used to it. Of of reform <laughs> doctrinal standards, um generically, generally speaking. If we keep going on and exploring these these questions and answers. These very opening questions and answers are certain to come back again because they are uh, they are the heart that's that's driving throughout the entirety of these of these teachings. Yeah, so this will probably be something of an irregular series, but still a series of things we'll work through. If you're interested in more things like this, uh, just perhaps one plug, one recommendation. There's a volume. It's edited by Joel mm -hmm. Beakey and Sinclair Ferguson. It's called Reformed Confessions Harmonized, and it basically walks through the three forms of unity and the Westminster Standards. And I think it throws a couple others. Yeah, yeah it throws in the Second uh, Helvetic, Second Helvetic mm -hmm. Confession also, basically presenting them topically and presenting them in harmony so you can see uh, the relationships between them. It's a good resource. 
definitely worth picking up if you're interested in studying confessional reform theology, which you should be. So yeah. if you're not interested, get interested and then buy that book. It's uh well definitely it's it's funny you say that because I actually have it right here. Um so I'm presuming you would you do. Um but I have it right here next to me as you're we doing this. Um and you know, uh I, I was actually gonna I was gonna say the same thing in, in recommending it. Um you know there is there is uh there is one one criticism I do have of it uh, this is not to dissuade at all from purchasing it or the great work that is uh, put forward here in this volume. On the index, uh, it has fantastic scriptural indexing. Uh, I do wish, though, it had a confessional index as well in the back. So that way, if you wanted to take a look, because, because there, there's a number of question and answers in here that they, they don't just appear in one place. Um, the arrangement of this book is actually through uh, theological topics. And so certain questions and answers will appear not only in, say, the topic of uh, of the doctrine of salvation, but also, say, in the, the doctrine of the church or, or whatnot. If someone wants to do a revision to this at all that happens to be listening or knows someone that can do a revision to this, an index for the confessions would be uh, would only improve um, the usefulness of this volume. Yeah. There's other resources out there too. Chad Van Dixhorn mm-hmm. just edited a new nice single volume that uh, has both sets of confessions. There's also James Dennison's four volume beast of uh, reformed confessions and catechisms of the 16th and 17th centuries. Um, lots of commentaries, other resources. We, we don't need to get into all those now, but now, like I said, this is something we'll be coming back to from time to time as well. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, I think that's, uh, then all the time that we have, uh, for this episode. Um, you know, and as always, we do hope that you, you learned something that was edifying to you. And, uh, you know, and, uh, our current tagline is if you have a pithy, uh, sign off recommendation do send them to us we are apparently tapped on uh creativity uh and need your help so uh maybe at some point uh (laughs) this is spitballing here andrew and i have never discussed this maybe at some point we could do if 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 we continue to not have a uh (laughs) a sign-off we'll do a contest for (laughs) we could do a contest for a sign-off uh recommendation (laughs) Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> the, the 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 contest reward anyway. will be our thanks. <laughs> yeah, so thanks for listening. This is once for all delivered and pithy sign off phrase. Pithy sign off phrase. Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our Substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once for All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.